This morning, we're going to be taking a look at discipleship, and I want this to be for everyone, but I want also for us to get the picture that discipleship starts at home and kind of has a ripple effect out in our culture, in our church, in every aspect of our daily lives. Uh, My name is Will Cook. I'm the student pastor here at Perimeter Road Baptist Church, and uh, I have some, some good news, good news. Uh, Claire and I are expanding the Cook family. We have just found out. Yep. See, Claire, I told you we could find some free babysitters. Uh, So, yeah, we're expecting a tiebreaker this September, and we're very excited. Um, I mean, what can I say? Some people still got it. Claire cannot resist all of this. <laughs> Hashtag, I love it when you call me Big Papa. So coincidentally, Joe, come on now, that was funny. That was fun. Coincidentally, our dog is, is also pregnant. So I've got a pregnant wife and a pregnant dog. And if that's not the start of a great country music song, I don't know what is. My old lady and my old dog's pregnant. Can a brother get an amen? <clears throat> but in all seriousness, y'all, uh, pray for us. We feel incredibly blessed by the Lord for this child. Um, in the past with our previous two pregnancies, we typically would have waited until much later on uh, in, in the life of that pregnancy to make an announcement. But Claire and I have just sat and talked and had some hearts to heart about this and and we've just been so impacted uh, by watching other families struggle and uh, some of our close, dear friends and even ourselves. Um, we, we, in, in our first pregnancy, uh, we pled with the Lord for a long time uh, before he, he blessed that. And so um, we know that um, we need your prayers. We need your prayers through the life of this. And um, not just through the pregnancy, but uh, through the life of this child. It, it really does take a church you know, so uh, that being said, um, we don't make light of anyone's situation. Um, we have close, close family members and close friends um, that plead with God daily uh, for Him to bless them uh, with biological children. And and if that's you, know that we are for you. Uh, Claire and I are on your side. We we would love to join you in, in praying with you in that aspect of your life. So um, if that describes you, know that know that we're here for you. Um, but we are very blessed, and um, I'm excited to be here this morning, and I think because of the changes that are taking place in our family, um, it has really motivated me to kind of pull back a little bit on the reins and hit, hit the pause button on life and really focus a lot more on what it means to be um, godly parents, a godly dad, a godly leader in the home. Um, and what does it mean uh, to have the same view of children that God views. You know, I'm convinced that our society, our culture, um, even some of our churches have, have really dropped the ball with, with treasuring children, with valuing our kids, our youth, our students the same way that God does. You know, um, we've kind of gotten into a little bit of a habit of thinking that coaches, school teachers, student pastors can share the responsibility of raising our kids. And and while there's some some, uh, truth to that, that's not how God designed it. It's just not the truth. See, I think the problem is that we are flirting with society's implication that our kids are the responsibility of another system. And so we must have chiseled into our souls the truth that children are priceless treasures in the eyes of God. Join with me in looking at Psalm chapter 127. Psalm chapter 127. Perhaps better than any other passage, uh, we're going to see a couple of verses that really highlight this biblical truth. Psalm 127, verses 3 through 5, read... 
Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb, a reward, like arrows in the hand of a warrior, are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies at the gate. And what I want to do also is read for you this same passage from a different Bible translation. I don't often do this, but I love the way that the message translation so poetically describes these same verses. Don't you see that children are God's best gift? The fruit of the womb, his generous legacy, like a warrior's fistful of arrows, are the children of a vigorous youth. Oh, how blessed are you parents with your quivers full of children. Your enemies don't stand a chance against you. You'll sweep them right off your doorstep. So yes, I think in light of reading these verses and understanding God's truth, when it comes to children, that we, as a society, have dropped the ball in valuing and raising and pointing our kids to the cross of Christ. So what has happened? Well, in short, sin has happened. Selfishness has happened. Pride has happened. And this isn't a new phenomenon This isn't uh, something that just pertains to our generation or or even uh, the most recent generations, but this has been a problem that has plagued mankind for millennia. We as adults, parents, pastors, and leaders have become sinfully distracted with less important aspects of life, reaching for comforts instead of the cross. And we lose sight of leading our most precious ones to God. Exodus chapter 14. Exodus chapter 14 describes for us a miserable situation where God has liberated the Hebrew people out from underneath the slavery of Pharaoh. They've left his land, they've departed Egypt, and he's actually given them the treasure that the Egyptians had stored up. And so they are on their way, and God leads them to the Red Sea, where there's no bridge, and there's no way to cross. They don't have a boat, and they've got Pharaoh and his Egyptian army at their backs. And it was here, for one of the first times that we see the Hebrew people begin to show their true colors. In spite of all that God had done for them, they began to cry out against God. And I can't help but hear what these people are saying and put myself in their position and identify with their belly aching, with their complaining, with their groaning. Exodus chapter 14 verse 11 reads, they said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done bringing us out of Egypt? Well, that's a great question. What had he done? Well, he had confronted Pharaoh numerous times. He had been an ambassador for Yahweh God. He had been a catalyst for issuing in these miracles. We call them plagues to open up Pharaoh's eyes to help him see that he had no business enslaving God's people. He is a Christ type. He points us to the great liberator, which is Jesus Christ himself who is God's ambassador, who sets us free from our chains of sin so that we can be liberated to live unto God lives of glory. Yet these people have forgotten the stench and the gruesomeness and the harsh conditions of their slave lives. And even in their freedom, they cry to go back. I believe they've forgotten what's at stake. And so we need to go back and look at Exodus chapter 1 and remember exactly what their conditions look like. Exodus chapter 1 verse 22 says, Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every son that is born to the Hebrews, to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. You see, these recently liberated slaves, these Hebrew people were kicking and screaming, pleading to go back to that lifestyle. 
Give us the scraps from Pharaoh's table. Put us back in chains. Give our children back into his hands. You see, their sons were going to be murdered, and their daughters would be taken away and put into those slave working conditions and abused. But they didn't care because they wanted a more comfortable life. Because of their lack of trust in God, because they couldn't see uh, the future, they chose to go back into their old way of living. Here's a question that God floored me with as I was preparing for this message. In what ways do we see parents today forfeiting their own children by handing them over to almost certain spiritual death and abuse while settling for the scraps of society? It doesn't take a brilliant mind for us to see that our culture has lost sight of the importance of raising children to the Lord. We have settled in our hearts and made compromises in the church. We think it's okay to drop our kids off with a certain ball coach because he's going to make my kid a winner. We care not about his vulgar speech. We care not about his awful attitude. We care not that he forces our kids to practice and play on days that should be set aside for us to worship as a family together all for the sake of winning. Or we pull our kids out of church and force them to focus much, much harder on academia because we're convinced if they can excel academically, then they will get into a good college. Then we send them off for four years into a state of rebellion with no supervision where they're not connecting to a church so that they can get a good job. So that then, when they have their own families, they can punch the clock and work 80 hours a week, but make a great financial living and have all the comforts of life. And one day, we'll see that we missed it altogether. That our primary responsibility as a church, that our primary responsibility as moms and dads is to point our kids to the cross of Christ no matter how many games we win, no matter how many tests we ace, no matter what level of college our kids get into, and no matter what jobs they land afterward, that is all for nothing if they do not honor and glorify God. I think in short, I find myself often disappointed and discouraged for our kids. The conversations that I have regularly with our middle school and high school and college students is discouraging. They're looking for leaders that will show them the way. And while it is true that I think God uses the primary vehicle of preaching and teaching his word to convert souls over to him, I'm convinced that it is living out our faith modeling our faith daily, pursuing God regularly, that our kids are going to watch and become true disciples. I think discipleship is far more about watching someone live their life out for Christ than it is about hearing that someone lives their life for Christ. You know, Liam is three. And I'm constantly amazed at the, thing that, the things that he picks up on that I'm doing. I've, I've had a frog in my throat uh, for about a week or two weeks now, thanks to um, South Georgia's high rate of pollen production. And so every morning when we are on the way to school, I clear my throat, and uh, Liam will say, Dad, you getting that snot out your mouth? <laughs> Yes, son, I am. And obviously that's embarrassing for me to say, but it's true. And so just this morning as we got in the truck, I sat him in his car seat and I buckled his clip and I heard him. He was going, (laughs) and I thought, my goodness, what am I teaching my kids? You know, he's got this trigger that now when we get in the truck, it's time to clear out your throat. 
Uh, also this week, um, we stumbled on him in his room, and he was sitting down on the floor and had his Bible open. And he was reading about David and the giant. You know, and I heard that report, and I thought, gosh, that's awesome. Man, that fills my heart. I did not tell him, and Claire did not tell him to go into his room and read about David and the giant. But we've made it a habit. And y'all listen, I'm not here to toot my own horn. We, we are not masters at this thing. We are just starting out. But we're striving. We're trying so hard to live out our faith for our kids. So every single night we have a routine. We read one book, we read one uh, Bible story, and we say our prayers. And then we go get milk, and then we, you know, everything else that he wants us to do. That's how our faith should look to others. That they see examples being lived out, and they want to follow in those footsteps. Disciple making starts in the home. It is continued in the church, and it is completed upon the transition from this life to the next. We exist to glorify God, enjoy Him forever, and make much of Him for others. That's the call of discipleship. That's what our kids should be seeing at home. It's the problem of misguided affection that has convinced our young men and women that Christ is merely a component of life. But listen, Christ is life, period. Everything we do, everything we think, everything we say should uh, be encompassed by our love and our faith for the Lord. As we're repenting of our sin and as we're studying our Bibles and as we're interacting with other people and as we go out to eat, it all should come uh, as an overflow from our love for Jesus Christ. And this is hard. I get it. It's difficult. It's tough. But this is what we are called to do. We have been seen, unfortunately, however, through the microscope of kids' eyes as pursuing other things. Things that don't measure up to the call that Christ has put over our lives. We have been seen losing sleep over our finances. Maybe now we've been seen as arguing about politics. And if I could just work this in for one quick second. It shouldn't matter about who's in the White House. It should matter about who's in the Lord's house. Can I get an amen? (laughs) Somebody dared me. There's a lot of truth there. The truth will set you free. We as parents and those of us as so-called disciple makers have been seen uh, having more joy when our favorite team wins than when someone accepts Christ as their Savior. And I'm just as guilty. Man, God is blessing our church right now. Do y'all realize this? We are baptizing people regularly. He is converting their sinful hearts over to him. They are repenting of their sin and turning to Christ as their Savior. And we see this modeled out for us in the baptism waters on a uh, monthly basis. And we clap. We're at our favorite college football team. We're the Georgia Bulldogs to win a national championship. Let me tell you, I would do more than clap. And I'm convicted by that. Truly, I am. What brings me greater happiness? Watching these kids give their hearts over to the Lord or seeing a sports team win a game. Let me rephrase it a different way. I think this sums it up well. We are focused on expanding the kingdom of self instead of expanding the kingdom of God. And I believe until we realign those priorities, our kids are going to struggle to see the true Christian life like it must be seen. As a result of these life lessons that we are modeling for our kids, we have catastrophic results. 
Regularly, I see teenagers running into their teenage lover's arms for affection, for guidance, for romance, rather than turning to their parents, rather than going to their pastors, rather than going to their uh, discipleship group leader. Regularly, uh, we place higher priority on being on time for school. Don't be late for school. When the homeroom bell rings, you must be at school. Don't get an absence. Were that to be modeled here, would we place a higher priority on studying God's word? Would we make sure that we're on time for community group, which is so vital Y'all, ministry happens in community groups. Again, I'm convinced that, that God uses the preaching of his word as a catalyst for soul conversion. But I'm also convinced that true discipleship, taking those next steps, growing as a believer, maturing in your faith, being a devoted disciple of Christ, is rooted in small groups. Life lived together. Listen, We do ministry upstairs on Wednesday nights because we are in small groups and and we ask tough questions of our teenagers. We bombard them with gospel-centered questions about their lives, about their families, about their cultures. And so let me put a plug in for community groups. Please seek out and find a community group that you can become invested in and that you can invest in. Community groups are the heartbeat of growing as a believer. We also see kids that, quite simply, they have no desire to fight against sexual impurity. They have no desire to fight against pornography. They have no desire to fight against premarital sex. It's commonly accepted in their culture. But hear me on this. Few things will leave deeper scars than playing around with premarital sex. Few things will leave deeper scars than making a game out of premarital sex. And so here in my heart, if, if I could fix these problems, trust me, I would. If there was something I could do to correct all of these wrongs, then I would get to work immediately. But there's only so much that Pastor Brian, Pastor Joby, Pastor Clint, Pastor Lee, uh, Miss Jet, that I can do. We are not with your children. We are not with your kids day in and day out. I'm lucky to spend a few hours a week with the students in our ministry. And so hear me loud and clear when I say this. The brunt of gospel-centered discipleship is on the shoulders of parents. God instituted the family in this world far before he instituted his church. I know it can be tough. I'm just now getting a taste for that. I don't want to stand up here and pretend to have it figured out. I know that Claire and I have some serious trials in the days ahead as we strive to raise our kids and point them to God. And I know that you guys could sit me down and teach me life lessons that I need to learn. But I want you to hear from the depths of my soul, guys, moms and dads, The responsibility is yours. The responsibility is yours. Simultaneously, church, young adults, college students, high school kids, middle school kids, all of us as professing believers in Christ, we share something in common. And that is that we have been called to make disciples. Though discipleship is rooted in the home, it is meant for everyone 
to make disciples. So we'll say it this way. Every single person claiming and possessing faith in Christ has a God-given assignment to make disciples of all nations. Jesus made this clear before he ascended to heaven. After he hung on the cross and defeated hell and the grave and rose back to life, he met with believers and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Y'all, we mustn't make disciples of all nations at the expense of making disciples in our home. Discipleship is most effective when our children see us as leaders and role models living out the gospel passionately and joyfully for them to see. The harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. Now, let's sidestep and ask the question, what should be one of our primary motivations for making disciples? As moms and dads, as college kids, uh, working with students, as high school kids influencing our middle school kids, as middle school kids influencing those even younger than you, what is our motivation? I'm convinced that one of the primary motivations that we have to parent up these kids and point them to Jesus Christ is our own Father, Father God. We are being constantly fathered by Him, therefore we father those beneath us. Psalm chapter 89, verse 26. He shall cry to me, you are my father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. Isaiah, for unto us a child is born, a son is given, and the government shall uh, be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. For the Father himself loves you, says John, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. In Romans, Paul teaches that uh, the God of endurance and encouragement will grant us to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify who? Glorify God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are called to disciple. We are called to train up. We are called, yes, to Father because of our great Father. And this is central to the gospel. The gospel teaches very clearly, primarily in the New Testament, that all of us are fatherless. That we as children turned our backs on God. That our hearts were hardened against him and his teaching. And that we were pursued by God in a way that only a father can pursue his children. This is the love of the Father. I'm reminded of the parable of the prodigal son, where a father had two sons, and the younger of the two requested his inheritance. And upon receiving this great amount of wealth, the younger son took off for foreign lands and wild living. And he squandered away, he wasted all of this money in living lives of in living a life of sinfulness. And the Bible teaches that he came to his senses. That when he was feeding the pigs and uh, wallowing in the mud as it were, he had an awakening. But listen, the great miracle of the parable of the prodigal son is not just the awakening that the son had. I'm convinced the greater miracle in the parable of the prodigal son, is the love of the father. We mustn't miss that. We mustn't miss that. What an incredible act of love that the father would love the son. And so it is with us. We waste away our blessings, we waste away our rewards, we waste away things that God has entrusted to us, yet time and time again, he returns to us as a loving father. Just like a retriever chases a tennis ball, infinitely more does God chase after us. What an incredible father that we have in God. Now, some of you theologians may be thinking, well, God is sovereign. 
right? God is in control. He is all good. He is all loving. So really, it's up to God. If God wants to convert someone, then God in his sovereignty can do that, right? Well, I think, yes, you're right about God's sovereignty. But let me answer that hypothetical question this way. And I, I love the way that Pastor Vody Bauckham states it. Imagine that you're walking down the sidewalk and you watch a scene unfold before your eyes as a police officer standing near the road watches a robber snatch the purse of a dear old lady and run off without lifting a finger, without raising his voice, without uttering a word. He just stands there and watches the thief get away. How does that make you feel? That the police officer did nothing. Well, I can tell you, as a society, we would be up in arms, right? It was that police officer's responsibility. He swore an oath. That is his job, to serve and protect. And I say, absolutely, you're right. Moms, dads, we have a job. Disciple makers, we have a responsibility. We have been called as God's people to make disciples. We mustn't stand by and watch the ways of our culture, the enemy, come in and rob from our youth. We are on patrol, and we do it joyfully. Because of the great love that God has for us, we are to love our students and point them to our great Father. So here are five practical ways that we can show godly love to our youth. Number one, we admit our sins. We admit our sins. One thing that I've found in working with teenagers is they're not looking for perfection. They're not. We shouldn't set some sort of false precedent for them. When I was 13 years old, uh, I convinced my parents to let me have a camp out in my backyard. Um, so I had three or four of my buddies come over, and we went as far away from my parents' house as we could possibly get in my backyard. And uh, we had a campfire, and we were camping out. And... Someone got the bright idea about 11 or 11.30 that night that since my parents were most likely asleep by now, that we should sneak in the house and borrow some alcohol that my parents had up in a cabinet. Well, my parents found out. But I didn't know they found out. They decided to have a husband and wife meeting and discuss how to approach the situation. So one afternoon, I get home from school, and it was really strange because my dad was already home from work. And so dad greeted us at the door and then asked me to sit down at our kitchen table. And on the counter next to the sink were empty bottles of alcohol that had been poured down the sink. And he said, son, we need to talk about your behavior. He said, first and foremost, I want you to know that I've set a bad example for you. I've been drinking in front of you and your brother and sister, and that wasn't right, because I've tempted you to do the same thing. And you're not old enough. So from this moment on, we're not going to have any more alcohol in the house. And he stood by his word. And he modeled that until I was out of college. He admitted his mistake, and he set the example. Looking back over my adolescent years, that was a pivotal moment for me. As my dad admitted his sin and chose to set the example that I needed set before me. Moms, dads, are you willing to live to a higher standard? Listen, that story, I'm not condemning alcohol. 
But for anyone who's under the age of 21, it is illegal to drink. So if you drink, you're not only breaking the law, but you're also breaking God's law. So moms and dads, look, you have that liberty. You do. If you're 21 and older and you want to drink, by all means. I'm not going to put restrictions where the Bible doesn't put restrictions. But listen, you're also free not to drink. The gospel tells us that we are free to set a higher standard, to admit our mistakes, to learn from those things, and pursue Christ. So yes, we must. We must admit our sins to our children and set a better example for them. The second thing I would say is pursue holiness. And let your kids see you pursuing holiness. Make it a daily habit where you strive to walk in stride with the Spirit of the Lord. My senior year, we got a new football coach at good old Berrien County High. We had a real successful year. We won three games. But the thing I haven't forgotten about that football season is that every Thursday afternoon, after an intense practice of wearing shorts and helmets, Coach Mike Creaseman would bus us over to his house. And he'd sit us down with a plate of pizza and a cup of Gatorade. And for 10 minutes, he would teach us the gospel. Every single week, without skipping a beat. You know what impresses me more? That he lived it out on the football field. For a kid that spent years and years and years of his life playing baseball, soccer, and football. Having a high school football coach that doesn't cuss is a rarity. But that was Mike Creaseman. He pursued holiness. We are to pray, 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 and when we're done, we pray some more. Just as that video that we watched as an introduction showed, dad's praying Man, what an example. What a legacy to leave for our kids. I can attest to uh, the power of praying parents because there were numerous times that I would uh, come home on a Friday or Saturday night and find my mom on her knees praying for safety for me. And she'll call me now out of the blue and pray for me again. Pray for me still. Pray for my kids. Pray for my marriage. Prayer matters. Fourth, I would say that we're all to spell love, T-I-M-E. Now, that's nothing new. You've heard that before. But it's very true. We should all spend time with kids. It matters. My pastor growing up was Stan Stalvey. And he discipled me, not by necessarily sitting me down and going through the scriptures word by word by word, but by coming to my baseball and football games, by taking me fishing and hunting, by coming and picking me up out of the blue and saying, hey, let's go get um, a milkshake from Dairy Queen. He invested in me with his time. I can tell you, that matters today as well. And finally... Though this list is not exhaustive, I'll end here. The fifth way that we can show godly love to our youth is by enjoying God. One of the great uh, theologians in all of history said, love God and do what you want. As long as your affection and adoration for God comes first, then your life is going to reflect that. We see in the Westminster uh, Shorter Catechism, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And I'm convinced that one of the reasons we see teenagers and, and students have a hard time connecting with God is because we as adults, we as disciple makers, uh, have a hard time enjoying God. Oh, that, that we would talk about God the way that we talk about grandma's fried chicken, right? Oh, that, that we would spend time with God the way that we spend time with our smartphones, Oh, that, that we would root for God the way that we root for our, our favorite team. We are called to enjoy God. That is worship. 
when our leaders stand before us and, and lead us in song and lead us in music, yes, that is worship. But worship also takes place outside the walls of this building. When we enjoy God, when we're driving down the road and we see a magnificent sunset and we say, God, thank you. Why did God have to give us that sunset? Because he loves us. And so we enjoy that and we worship God as a result. I asked Liam, Liam, who made the color blue? God did. Okay, Liam, why did God make the color blue? Which is his favorite color, by the way. And I'll say, because he loves you. Because God loves you. Why did God give us so many wonderful tastes, right? We're gonna go eat a buffet later after church today. And all those foods taste so different, but they're all so good. Why did he do that? Because he loves us. And it's right for us to enjoy God. Folks, do you love God? And I don't mean this in the sense of, do you you have an obligatory love? Are you obliged to to love God? Or are you guilted into loving God because of the way that that you read the scriptures, that he died for you? So, okay, if he died for me, then I guess I'll, I'll love him in return. No, what I'm really asking is, do you like God? Do you like God? Let me ask a follow-up question. Does your life reflect that you like God? He delights in us. Oh, that we will delight in him. Finally, I'll say it this way. Will you let God's abounding love and delight for you as his chosen child catapult you into a life well spent enjoying him so that everyone watching you knows that you are overjoyed to belong to him? Do people see us enjoying God? I think that would have a great impact in the generation that follows in our footsteps, if we would be seen enjoying God. Our chief end is to know him and enjoy him forever. So parenting is no easy task. I get that. I know that there are constant struggles, that there are constant hurdles, that there are constant challenges. So let's, let's address those. We're, we're gonna be exhausted. We're gonna have physical exhaustion That's the phase that I believe Claire and I are uh, most frequently in right now, Um, taking turns in the middle of the night. Uh, It's only going to get better when we have about a dozen puppies and another baby, right? Um, But yeah, parenting is physically exhausting. It's emotionally exhausting uh, when when your kid just persists in throwing food in the floor, even though you've challenged them with the smack of a hand not to throw food on the floor. Um, man, that's emotional. It works on you. You just want your kids to obey, and, and you just got to remember, um, they have a mind of their own, amen? It's spiritually exhausting. It's spiritually exhausting. Uh, we, are, we are sinners raising sinners, right? Sure, we're redeemed by the blood of God, and prayerfully, our kids will be too. But let's face the facts. We're, we're working inside flesh, so we, we must walk stride for stride with the Holy Spirit to overcome our flesh. You know, Matt Chandler taught us a couple weekends ago at the marriage conference that, that marriage uh, is, is a sinner living in the same house as another sinner. And parenting is, is sinners raising other sinners. So yeah, we, we must rely on Christ for that. I know that there are struggles for single parents. Listen, um, I get it. I get it. My mom, for years and years, was a single parent. She and my older sister, uh, she fought the fight. There were days that, that she said all she had to eat was a pack of crackers because times were tough. She worked at a mill, and she drove a clunker, but she took care of my sister. I'm sorry if that describes you. Really, I am, but hang in there. Know that we are on your side. That we as a church, we have tools and ministries in place to come alongside you and help you. Look, we want to serve you in that regard. So let us talk with me or talk with Lee, our connections coordinator, and and we will do everything that we can to extend ourselves on your behalf. And adoptive parents and fostering parents, you have challenges as well. 
Again, we as the body of Christ are here for you, right? There's a blogger named Catherine Claire Larson. Claire is such a beautiful name. And I love what she has to say on this. Perhaps God wants us to begin parenthood feeling completely at the end of ourselves because that's the place where good parenting begins. When we realize that we aren't enough, when we realize how desperately we need God to show up, perhaps that's the place where everything that is any good happens. Why? God gets the glory. God gets the glory. Look, we can't save our kids. We can't. We're to pray and pray and pray knowing that only God can save. But we live and live and live and live and live knowing that we have a role and a responsibility in that salvation process. That God has chosen the dumb things of the world, the foolish things to confound the wise. And him using um, a short white boy just like me to, to uh, help save my kids, man, that's a miracle. I ask Claire, she'll tell you, that is a miracle that he would do that. And we are praying fervently for the salvation of our kids because it is only and fully an act of God. I want to leave you with this. Some of my final remarks. One of the most gospel-centric teachings that I think we can grab onto is acceptance. Let's accept our kids. Let's please not force them to measure up to our standards. Let's please not put parameters on their lives in order to receive our adoration, in order to receive our affection, in order to receive our love. Let's accept them for who they are and the position that they are. Listen, y'all, this is gospel-centric because that is what God does for us. There is no way that we could ever measure up to God's standard. There is no way that we could ever meet the requirements that he has put in place. But he still finds the capacity in his heart to accept us. And he made a great sacrifice for that. And that sacrifice was his only son, his perfect son, his beloved son, our dear brother Jesus Christ that we now call our Lord and Savior that was sacrificed on the cross at Calvary. And his blood was spilled so that it could cover and make atonement, be the propitiation for our sins. Because we are rebellious kids and we turned our backs on God the Father. But he still accepts us. And even though we can't measure up to his standard, Christ did the measuring up for us. Y'all, I'm convinced one of the greatest ways that we push our kids away is by forcing them to meet an unfair standard. Y'all, let's accept and let's love our kids. Because they measure up in God's eyes. Praise be to God through the blood of Jesus Christ we all do. We accept your kids. Will you love them to the Lord? Will you pray, pray, pray? Will you enjoy God? Y'all, we are called to disciple all of us. Will you live out your faith for the Lord? We're getting ready to sing, Be Thou My Vision. As our song leader, Katie, brought this to my attention. She just said, you know, this is a perfect, perfect tie-in with the Father God. And I want you to to listen to this portion of the song. It says, Be thou my wisdom and thou my true word. I ever with thee, thou with me, Lord. Be my great Father and I thy true Son. Thou in me dwelling and I with thee one. So as we wrap things up this morning and as we come to a close, y'all listen. What does it look like for you as God's beloved, as his sons and daughters, to enjoy him. To enjoy him so much that everyone watching your life sees your enjoyment in God. That all of our kids, that all of our students, that all of our college students see us enjoying God. That we know the love of the Father. I'm going to ask Katie to come up and they're going to play for us. And as they do, man, feel free to come and and pray. Pray for your kids. 
Pray for us as parents. Man, I need prayers. I need prayers. Pray for your own heart. And perhaps there are some among us that haven't accepted God as Father. That haven't turned from their sin and in doing so turned towards Christ as the Savior. That's where it starts. That is the building block that is missing out of your life. Nothing else is more important than accepting Christ and calling him your Savior and pursuing him and enjoying him all the days of your life. Would you accept the love of our great God, of our great Father? Would you make Christ the Savior of your life? Would you embrace him? Would you pray? Heavenly Father, Oh, that we get to call you Father. Oh, that you love us with an infinite love. God, thank you for entrusting us with discipleship. Thank you for choosing in your infinite wisdom to let us play roles in the making of disciples. God, I pray for our moms and dads lifting them up to you in prayer, I pray that you would give them wisdom, that you would give them strength, that you would give them peace, that you would give them assurance. Lord, that you would surround them with uh, the body of, uh, of believers, that, that we would uh, join hand in hand and participate together in the raising of children. Lord, that you would empower us through your Holy Spirit, God, to live lives of enjoying you. And in doing so, that we would impact a generation of new believers. Lord, I pray for the pastors here. God, myself included, that that you would just help us to be leaders at home. That that would be our foremost priority. Lord, that we would love our wives and that we would love our kids. Lord, I pray for the students with all of the temptations tugging at their hearts, with all the peer pressures and with all the shouting from culture, teaching them how they should live their life. God, I pray that your instruction would hit the target of their hearts. God, I pray they would enjoy you. Lord, we are so grateful for Jesus Christ. Thank you for all that he makes available to us. Thank you for his shed blood on the cross. We pray this in his great name. Amen.